of this talk is to try to introduce you to uh, some of the meaning behind the things that happen during the Triduum. Um, and the main purpose to that is that there are so many things that happen that if we don't kind of try to cover it in advance, then if you're not careful, the whole thing just passes by and it's like, well, gosh, what was that all about? Why, why, why did you do that? Why do we do this? What's all this stuff going on? So... The first thing to talk about is this word, triduum, T-R-I-D-U-U-M. Um, really, just uh, the simple translation is just three days, right? And we're talking about this period of time uh, from Holy Thursday evening to uh, Easter Sunday, uh, in which our Lord underwent his passion and his death and his resurrection. So this is the holiest time of the year. Um, and tomorrow evening, beginning with evening prayer, uh, uh, evening prayer of the Lord's Supper, um, the, or or uh, or the liturgy of the Lord's Supper, uh, we enter into this period of time. So, things that happen uh, during the Triduum, we have all these events. You know, tomorrow night we have the washing of the feet. We have the it's called the Mass of the Lord's Supper. Then on Good Friday, all these various different things happen. Uh, and then Holy Saturday, good grief, all kinds of things happen at the vigil. Um, what we have to remember is that during this time, we are remembering um, the passion of our Lord, right? This entire event is considered to be one event. It's stretched out over three days, but it's one event. So one thing, just to start with, that you'll notice is tomorrow for Mass, if you're here, we will start Mass like normal. There'll be a normal procession and all that other kind of stuff. And I'll start Mass in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like normal. And then you will not receive a blessing during the Triduum at all until the solemn blessing uh, on the evening of, or at the end of the vigil. The entire liturgy, right, from, from Holy Thursday evening until the Easter vigil is one liturgy. It's one thing. So it begins Holy Thursday evening. And then at the end, there's the final dismissal with the big, uh, uh, the big A word that comes at the end of it. Um, and so this all constitutes one big thing, which is interesting. So Holy Thursday, how does it end? Like we end by going out in a procession, right? There's no, uh, there's no kind of talking. There's no uh, description of it. And we end up down at the altar of repose. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Good Friday, I come in in silence. We depart in silence. And then Holy Saturday has a very interesting beginning. But uh, it does not begin uh, even with the sign of the cross, right? It's like the sign of the cross is kind of made at the very beginning of uh, the Holy Thursday liturgy. And then it's done until the end. So again, all one big liturgy. And we are, the, the liturgies are modeled after the events that happen in Christ's life. Some of them don't line up perfectly, uh, but the idea is basically there. So Holy Thursday, what happens? So on Holy Thursday, uh, starting with the Triduum at least, um, we have the Mass of the Lord's Supper. The Mass is a very normal Mass. 
uh, up until uh, we have this event that happens, which is optional, um, the washing of the feet. The gospel for Holy Thursday is the gospel from John uh, talking about Jesus uh, washing after the, after the supper was over. Jesus came and he washed the feet of his disciples, and he says a bunch of things about that. I'm not going to talk about it too much because that's my homily for tomorrow. Um, and uh, then what will happen is uh, I will wash the feet of 12 folks here, uh, just like Jesus washed the feet. And the symbolism behind the washing the feet uh, is it's complicated. There's a lot of different things going on. On the first, on one level, this is our Lord washing the feet of the men who would become the first bishops, right? So on the one level, it's that. On the other level, it's, you could say it's uh, our Lord washing the feet of the ones who would be his priests. Um, and on the third level, you could say uh, because he gives that same mandate to them, you know, if I have washed your feet, so also you should wash one another's feet. So he gives that same mandate to them for them to go and to serve the people given to them uh, in that way. And so you could also make the argument that it's the priest kind of washing the feet of the people, right? So all three of those levels of symbolism are supposed to be happening at the same time. Um, and so it's a beautiful symbol. I'll talk about it more tomorrow. Um, but that goes on. Um, and then Mass continues like normal. You notice today uh, our tabernacle is currently empty. Uh, the doors closed. We could open it, I guess. But uh, the tabernacle is currently empty. It doesn't have to be empty, but we had like one host left, so I figure we'll, okay, we'll go ahead and do that. But tomorrow, as Mass starts, it is empty. Because all the, ma- all the Eucharist that's consumed at Holy Thursday Mass is supposed to be consecrated at that Mass. And at that Mass, we will also consecrate enough Eucharist for Good Friday, because there's no Mass on Good Friday. So, after that Mass, so we're remembering the events in our Lord's life, right? So, he goes and he has the Last Supper in the upper room with his disciples. And then it says, they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so the Garden of Gethsemane was about a one kilometer, maybe like 0.8 kilometers of a walk from where they celebrated the Last Supper to the garden uh, through the Valley of Kidron, um, which is sometimes called the Valley of uh, the Valley of the Shadow of Death, um, which, uh, as you can imagine, like our Lord praying uh, in Psalm 23 as he walks through that valley, and the reason being that the Jews were buried, uh, the bodies of the Jews were all buried on the mountains right in between the Kidron Valley, right? So it's right next to the temple. And so there was this, there's still a big cemetery on this mountain. Um, and the Jews are buried there. So as you walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, right? All of these people who have died, their bodies, they're awaiting the resurrection. So you can imagine like kind of Jesus praying that Psalm as he walks through uh, the valley on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so as he's there, he goes into his agony praying. At the end of the mass tomorrow, we will, uh, after communion is done, everything's going to get arranged, and we will have one ciborium, hopefully, maybe, we might have to have two, because we might have a lot of people, um, but one ciborium basically sitting on the altar, and then there's a closing prayer, and this, that, and the other, and then a procession begins. So you guys will all kind of file, our altar of repose is downstairs, so you'll all file out. I think we're going outside. This, these are not my problems. Somebody else deals with this. <laughs> then we're going outside, and you're coming in from downstairs. And then I come downstairs, I'm the last one in with the ciborium. We'll have a, a beautiful, beautiful setup downstairs. 
and I bring the ciborium, place Jesus in the tabernacle, close the tabernacle after a few minutes. There's a couple other things that happen there. And then begins the vigil with our Lord. When I say vigil, not like a vigil mass, but like watching with our Lord. This is the time that we're remembering our Lord's agony in the garden. Right? So when we take our Lord down to the altar of repose, it is going to look like a garden. Now, it is not going to look like the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, unless we can find an olive tree tomorrow, which I doubt we're going to be able to do. Um, but, uh, but he's now in the garden, and he asks his disciples, right, could you not watch one hour with me? Right, and this is one of the most important traditions of the church is for us to take time that evening to sit with our Lord, right, to sit with him and to pray with him. There's another tradition we talk about, but it's a later tradition, we want to make sure we don't turn that tradition into just a big party, right? So our Lord is in the agony, is in his agony in the garden, awaiting betrayal, right? Awaiting his betrayal. And of course, that's the period of time in which um, he's praying and he asks, Lord, if this chalice can pass from me, uh, but let, you know, uh, not my will, but your will. Um, several times, um, Peter keeps falling asleep, as we all know, right? The disciples fall asleep. And then at the end of his agony, uh, he says, rise, see our betrayer is at hand. And so now Judas walks in uh, with the soldiers and goes and betrays our Lord with a kiss. Right? He gives him the, the, the sign of peace, the kiss of peace, and betrays our Lord. So at approximately 11.55, because adoration is supposed to continue until midnight, at approximately 11.55, I now get to play the role of Judas. That's great. Um, I walk downstairs, and I take our Lord from that tabernacle, and he'll go upstairs into our chapel, uh, safekeeping. Um, and uh, uh, that ends the period of adoration, right? So then we will disassemble that whole thing, probably not that night, the next day, disassemble that whole thing and uh, uh, prepare for Good Friday. Um, so all these things kind of happening. Now, there's another tradition that happens on Holy Thursday evening called, um, uh, it's like, well, it's like the seven church walk, or people go and visit altars of repose in different churches. Um, so you'll go and, because, you know, every church makes it more or less of a big deal, and you go and you visit them, and they're beautiful, and this, that, and the other. In Rome, they had this tradition on Holy Thursday we're after Holy Thursday, so then all the Romans come out and they're wandering around the streets. It's like the, the, the streets are all closed. And you're wandering, you kind of go in and you see these altars that, honestly, I never really thought any of them were particularly spectacular. But nevertheless, you know, you kind of go in and you see these altars. I remember I did it one time. I did it my first year that I was there. And then I thought to myself, why am I doing this? Like, our Lord is in his agony, and I'm walking around the city looking at flowers. So if you're going to do the seven church thing, if you're going to do it, make sure that when you go to visit places, you're actually staying and praying with our Lord, right? We're not just going in and kind of snapping a picture and leaving. You'll see people do that. They pop in, they're like, oh, that one's really nice, really pretty, let's go, right? Um, we're missing the point, definitely missing the point if we allow something like that to get in the way of that time watching with our Lord, right? Could you not watch with me for an hour? I mean, this is what our Lord says to Peter. He's saying it to you too. You ought to plan at some point tomorrow evening to spend an hour with our Lord. Whether you do it all at once or if you're going to do the church, go visit different churches. I mean, obviously, 
even if you don't go to seven. I mean, the Basilica is close. I'm sure they do a very nice job. I've never been over there for theirs. Uh, the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception is pretty close. Our Lady of Lords is close. Uh, um, St. Anthony's is close. The Cathedral is close. Um, all of the St. Thomas More, you could probably do all of those within like an hour if you wanted to. Um, but uh, make sure that you're praying uh, as you do that. If you choose to do that, I will not do that. I'll stay down with, uh, with our Lord. Um, so then, Holy Thursday ends. Jesus is now stored upstairs in our chapel awaiting Good Friday. Before I move to Good Friday, does anybody have questions about Holy Thursday? No questions. So, Good Friday. So what happens in the event of our Lord's betrayal, right? So he goes, he's taken to, uh, as he's arrested, he's now taken to Caiaphas' house where he's put on trial. The trial of Jesus, which we'll hear uh, Friday in the gospel, uh, the trial of Jesus. Uh, in, in Caiaphas' house, when it's all done, he's then held in a cell that evening. If you go to Jerusalem, you can actually go. It's really cool how they do it uh, in the Holy Land. I've only been there for Holy Week one time, but it was, it was incredible. First of all, the Palm Sunday procession like goes from where Jesus started the Palm Sunday procession. Uh, down the Mount of Olives, through the Valley of Kidron, up. I mean, it's really incredible. It's pretty incredible. I mean, it's enormous, too. Um, but on Holy Thursday evening, uh, the altar of repose, like the altar of repose in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Basilica of the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, when it's time for the betrayal, the arrest, the torches, you see like this procession, start from Caiaphas's house. And they come down. They come through the Kidron Valley, they come in and take our Lord, and there's this kind of Eucharistic procession, right, that happens through the city, uh, through the valley, and then up to Caiaphas' house, where there's this pit uh, where Jesus was kept. Um, and then they take, this, they take the Eucharist down into the pit. I don't think they leave the Eucharist there all night. In fact, I know they don't because I've been down in that pit on that night. But they do something down there. I, it was, it's so small you can't get into it while it's going on. Um, and then... Uh, Afterwards, they leave it open all night. And I remember after like an hour, everybody had left. They were all out on the seven church walk, right? And I'm down in this pit that Jesus Christ spent the night in on, uh, on Good Friday, like looking around by myself. Like, uh, this is interesting. Um, but incredible, right? So he spends the night there. At first light, they take him to Pilate's house, right? So Pilate's house from Caiaphas' house, again, maybe not even, no, maybe a kilometer um, to get from Caiaphas' house to Pilate's house. They show up there in the morning. They accuse Jesus of being a traitor to Rome um, and ask for Pilate to do something. Pilate says, he's not my problem. Uh, he's under the jurisdiction of Herod. Take him to Herod. So they took him to Herod's palace. Herod has been hearing about this guy. He's excited. About him. By the way, when you're reading the scriptures, there's three different Herods, if, as if it's not confusing enough, right? There's three different Herods. So anyway, the Jerusalem Herod has been hearing about Jesus. Um, finally, he gets to see him. He wants him to do something, you know, uh, but he doesn't. Jesus remains silent. Uh, so he's taken back to Pilate, and that's when uh, the Jews uh, accuse Pilate of not being a friend of Rome if he allows Jesus to uh, remain alive. And then Pilate washes his hands and sends Jesus to be uh, crucified and scourged and all that other kind of stuff first. So on Good Friday, um, 
the liturgy that happens at 7. There's lots of things that happen on Good Friday. So we'll do like Stations of the Cross at like 2.30. Um, and of course the commemoration really is supposed to be, the, the liturgy that we're going to do at 7 is supposed to happen at 3. Um, because that's the hour uh, that Jesus was, would have been on the, on the cross dying, right? From 12 to 3 on the cross, dying at 3. Um, but we move it to 7 because 3 o'clock on a Friday, most people are busy doing other things. Uh, so um, that liturgy starts in a very kind of somber way. So it'll begin, Father Michael is going to lead that one. And so it'll begin with Father Michael walking in, and we'll see how we end up doing it. But normally the priests come in, uh, no seminary, no, no like servers, nothing like that. The priests come in and immediately prostrate uh, on the ground. Um, so that's, we lay flat on the ground. We'll probably end up doing it out here because we're pretty jam-packed with chairs. But really, you're supposed to do it before you go into the sanctuary. But it is what it is. Uh, so we go up here and we prostrate. And that is essentially the official kind of mourning of the church. Um, remembering and commemorating the moment that Jesus died. Right. So if this was happening at 3 when it's supposed to, like at 3 o'clock, the priest comes in and prostrates. Right, so we're, we're recognizing and mourning the death of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Ben gets up, there's an opening prayer, readings just like normal, the Passion. The Passion, according to St. John, is always read on Good Friday. On Palm Sunday, it'll rotate between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But on Good Friday, it's always the Passion of John. Uh, we'll be singing it this year, just like we did a couple years ago. Um, and then um, after that... Father Michael, of course, will give a homily. And then we have these two other things that happen on Good Friday. Very interesting things. The second thing that happens is uh, these solemn intercessions. Right? So this is the day. So Jesus Christ has taken our sins onto himself. He's died for us. And then the church has these intercessions. It's the only time during the year that the church prescribes the intercessions. Now, as I say that, there's probably another time. But the only time I can remember... That, like, these are the intercessions you have to do. And they're complicated. And they'll be sung. And there's a lot of standing and kneeling. And uh, if you've ever been before, there's somebody's yelling, let us stand and let us kneel. And, uh, by the time it's all done, you're quite tired. Um, but there's these things. It's like the church has to pray for these things. And so we pray for all kinds of stuff. Like, we pray for our government leaders. We pray for the church. We pray for the pope. We pray for bishops and priests and all that kind of stuff. We pray for the conversion of the world. We pray for the conversion of Jews. We pray for the conversion of those who don't believe in Christ. Uh, we pray for the conversion of those uh, who don't believe in God. Uh, there's ten of these intercessions. Um, if you listen to them, it's actually really a fascinating thing. Um, this is not a theology course, and I don't have time to talk about it, but it's essential. It is essential. You know, people have that question sometimes that... Um, is it possible for people who are not Catholic or possible for people who are not Christian to be saved, right? Can they be saved if they don't know Jesus Christ? If the church did not do the intercessions on Good Friday, the answer would be no, right? Those intercessions are important. It has to do, it has to do with the desire of the church for the baptism of all. Um, and that's a discussion for another time, but like those intercessions... They matter a lot, right? The, the fact that we pray for the conversion of the world. We've got to remember that Jesus Christ in the gospel, he did not say, 
that it's okay to just believe anything you want to. Right? He told the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Not some nations, not just the ones who want to have you. All nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Behold, I will be with you always until the end of the age. The missionary aspect of the church is dead. Maybe one day it will be revived. Uh, but you talk about like failing as Christians. If we do not recognize that the final, the, the very final uh, command that our Lord gave to us on this earth was to see to the, see to the spread of Christianity uh, throughout the world. Uh, if we don't pay attention to that, uh, that's not good, right? So that's one of the things the church is doing on Good Friday during these intercessions. And then after that, uh, there is um, the veneration of the cross. So the cross will come in, it'll be covered. Uh, and then as, as the cross comes in, there's um, a singing of uh, uh, the lignum crucis. It's like, behold the wood of the cross on whom the Savior died, or on whom hangs the body of the Savior who died. I can't remember exactly. Um, and uh, as the cross comes in, this is one part of the cross is uncovered. Ideally, if we had like the perfect setup, what would happen is you'd be able to show the wound of one hand and then the wound of another hand and then remove the whole thing. Oftentimes, our uh, technological prowess with the cloth does not allow for that sort of precision. Uh, but that's kind of what's supposed to be happening um, as the cross comes in. And then we venerate the cross, right? So uh, Father Michael, at least, will start with it. And uh, the priest removes his shoes. Uh, the one time ever that a priest is not supposed to be wearing shoes uh, while um, doing anything in the liturgy. But in that case, the priest is supposed to remove his shoes. Uh, and then he goes and he venerates the cross and then he'll hold it. And we come up. And the proper way to venerate the cross uh, you'll see it all kinds of different places. The proper way to venerate the cross is either to make some kind of genuflection to the cross and then kiss the cross, the corpus of the cross, right, the body that's on it, um, somewhere, it doesn't really matter where, um, or to kneel while you're kissing the cross. And a lot of times you'll be in parishes where they're trying to speed the whole thing up and they'll tell you, no, 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 don't do any of that, just keep going. Here, we're not in any hurry, right? So... Um, uh, if you want to come and kneel to kiss the cross, that's fine. Um, that's certainly what I do. Um, and then after that, we have uh, uh, Holy Communion, which is a very strange thing to have on Good Friday. That um, was added in the reform of the Triduum uh, after the Second Vatican Council. Pope Benedict uh, wrote about it, not when he was Pope, but Cardinal Ratzinger wrote about it. Uh, talking about how it was a bizarre kind of thing that right as we're talking about the fact that like we're, we're considering and pondering the idea that like Jesus is not with us in the world, right? And then we have communion. But it is, it's beautiful at the same time, right? So on the one hand, it's like it's a little strange that we're doing it. On the other hand, it's like, well, we know how this ends. It's not like it's, not like it's a mystery that at the end of this, we know Jesus Christ is resurrected and he's with us always. And so uh, we'll bring in uh, the, uh, the hosts and then have communion kind of like normal. I mean, we say the Our Father and all that, have communion like normal. Then at that time, all of the hosts are supposed to be consumed. It'll depend on how many we have left over. We may just process them out and uh, consume them later, which is 
mean, you want to talk about a strange situation. I remember my first... I remember my first triduum. Um, I was the first one that I ever emceed. I was a seminarian, and it was at my home parish. And at the end of Good Friday, we had like 400 hosts left. It's like, I don't know who put those things out, but we had like 400 hosts left. And so they take the ciborium and is back over in the rectory. And I get back over to the rectory, and Father Richard and Father Joe are just sitting at the table. <laughs> like, sit down, join us. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> but we will uh, we'll do our best to not have that kind of uh, sort of thing happen. But the good news is we know exactly how many chairs we have, right? So it's a matter of how many people are standing or if they're not all full or something like that. So um, 294. We have 294 chairs. Yes? Do you have to receive community? Of course not. What if it helps you enter into more of it's not with us, kind of a thing? What if not receiving? Yeah, so it's... That's actually, like, Carter Ratzinger in his book, The Spirit of the Lord, was it the Feast of Faith? Well, it's one of his two liturgy books. He actually recommended not receiving, you know. But, I mean, it's totally, like, I'll receive it, right? It's totally fine to, it's totally fine not to. The church only recommends that you do, right, if you're in the state of grace. Um, then, the, so, as soon as... Jesus has been either properly stored for later consumption or uh, uh, everything's uh, cleaned up, then uh, we leave in silence. And it's one of those things where, like, everybody's supposed to leave in silence. So Good Friday is not one of those days that we gather out here after Mass and make tons of noise, right? That's one of those days that we're supposed to really be pondering, like, this is the day, like, this is the day that Jesus Christ was tortured and killed uh, for trying to help people. And that's basically what the man did, right? Um, died for our sins. Uh, and then I think later that evening is that we, uh, we watched The Passion, I think, somewhere upstairs, downstairs, both, who knows. Um, depends on how many people there are. Uh, so that's Good Friday. Then Holy Saturday is the day that Jesus is in the tomb, it's a big day for the Eastern Church. Uh, but Holy Saturday is the day that Jesus is in the tomb and the day that he descends into hell. Right? This is when he goes down to proclaim salvation to all of those who uh, would have accepted him had they been alive at the time. Right? That's basically the idea. Um, and then the Easter Vigil comes uh, towards the evening. During the day, um, if you have holy things that need to be burned bring them for our burn box like they start lighting the Easter fire about five or so and we'll burn stuff like we have a box full of stuff that we accumulate during the year that um, it's now it's either old or it's old palms or broken rosaries and things like that that people have you know once something's blessed you're not supposed to just throw it away right um, and so in the Easter fire we burn out like the old oils we'll get the new oils I forgot to pick those up that's not good <laughs> remind me about that um, details gotta, gotta find some oils we may burn the old oils um, so uh, uh, it, well I'm sure we'll find some oil somewhere um, we, we don't need a lot 
Uh, so, well, we like, but the old oils that we have, we end up, you burn those, and that's actually quite fun. <laughs> quite, quite a scene when you put that, that on the fire. Um, and then all the old, old things. We've got old palms, and we have a, a really old missile that we're not using anymore. You don't just throw those things away, right? So, um, uh, and especially because they've been blessed. So we burn all that stuff in the afternoon, and then uh, starting around somewhere 9, 9.15 range, it's going to depend on when Stephen has his act together, which is questionable. <laughs> um, we will begin outside with uh, the Easter Vigil. And so, assuming, uh, also assuming the weather cooperates, which it's supposed to. So it starts with um, the blessing of a fire. So we start with what is supposed to be a... What does it call? It's a. It's not a vigorous fire. A blazing fire. A blazing fire. So last year we did the triduum up in uh, the shanty town in Lima, which was, I mean, it was incredible. But you have to imagine you're like two thousand feet up above the sea level. You can see the sea out in the distance, way out in the distance. You can see all of Lima, and we're on this sort of cliff side, and they build this fire. Um, that we told the locals, we said, it needs to be big. And, uh, you know, most of these people have, like, never even been to Mass until we had Mass up there for them, right? So we said, it needs to be big. And so there's some other people helping with the fire. And the next thing we know, like, the locals over there pouring gasoline on this thing. It's like gallons and gallons of gasoline being poured on this fire. And uh, I remember Alex Carroll came over to me and said, we may all need to go to confession." Everybody, before we light this thing. (laughs) Okay, so we're getting everything ready, and we walk over to the little shelf that's like sheer drop off, right? Uh, That they've built this thing on. There's like a house right above us, and to the just below us. I'm like, this is not good. We're gonna burn these people's houses down. The fire is like 40 feet blazing in the air. I mean, it was at least as high as this room. At least, right, blazing the air. It was so hot, you couldn't even get close to it, right? So we're now, like, trying to use sticks to light something on fire with the stick so that we can light the other things on fire that we're supposed to light from way over here. I mean, it was but the pictures. Oh, my goodness. It's incredible. And then the Easter candle wouldn't stay lit. Oh, my goodness. It was, a, it was really something. Um, so anyway, you start with a blazing fire. Uh, and then the fire gets blessed, and then uh, comes the Easter candle. So um, the service of light at the beginning is supposed to be about um, the light of Christ coming into the world, right? The light of Christ coming into the world and spreading. So we start with this fire, and the fire at that, at that moment would kind of symbolize the love of God, right? The love of God, which never went away, Right? It never went away during the Passion. It never goes away ever. Right? So we have this fire, this blazing fire. And the fire gets blessed, and then we light the charcoal for the incense from the fire. In fact, theoretically, they'll be in there already and ready to go, but it's us. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, those go into the thurible. And so now the, the, the thurible and the incense will all come from that, that fire that we blessed. The Easter candle, um, which also is a symbol of Jesus Christ, uh, will be blessed um, outside. 
and then there's these uh, grains of incense that are put in. Do we have the old one? It's in the other. Would you grab it? You don't have to do the stand, just the candle. Because um, the stuff that happens, you can't see because it's dark and it's crowded and all that kind of stuff, so I'll show you now. Um, but it has these grains of incense that are put into the candle um, that are symbolic of the wounds of Jesus Christ. And there's certain things you say as you put them in, um, which is always a little bit of a debacle because... Uh, you know, some guy's got a flashlight and he's holding it on the wrong part of the book. And so here's last year's um, And so, you know, the candle, of course, started off quite much longer. But these little guys right here, so inside of these are, inside the wax are grains of incense. Um, and this is relating to some Old Testament stuff. I should have brought my notes. Uh, but, um, but you see, um, there's a cross on the... Uh, on the candle, and you mark, supposed to be a marking of the five wounds of Jesus Christ, right? So five grains of incense, uh, five wounds of Jesus Christ. And incense, because uh, incense we offer, it burns and becomes our offering of prayer to God the Father. The Easter candle is always supposed to have an Alpha and Omega on it. If it doesn't have an Alpha and an Omega, you actually have to trace one with a stylus, which also is a disaster. So note, if you ever have to order an Easter candle, if you want your priest to speak to you ever again, order one with an Alpha and Omega already on it. Uh, and then you dispose of this by either, um, by the, at the end of the year, you either just start, you light it and just leave it so it burns away. Or um, in our case, we send it back to the candle recycling department and they do something with it, hopefully that's not unholy. Um, no, they give us like a discount on the next one or something. If you it. <laughs> they melt it down and recycle the wax. I don't know how it works. Um, and then begins a procession. So now the symbol of Christ, right? Not, not the presence of him in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, right? But in this case, it's almost like we're back in the Old Testament. We have, um, we have these symbols of Christ. We have the light of Christ. We have the love of God. We have... The, it's like the pillar of flame leading the Israelites uh, through the desert, right? That's one of the things that happened in the Old Testament. After the Israelites made it through the Red Sea, um, several things happened. But God led them in a pillar of fire through the desert, right? So he's leading them to the promised land. So now we have our pillar of fire. And the candle goes first, and we all follow it. Uh, and then as you come into uh, the church... Uh, you'll light your own little candle that you'll be carrying. And so this, uh, this light that we, we call the, the candle, the light of Christ, right? Lumen Christi. Um, and as you come in, you'll light your own candle from this light of Christ. It's the light of Christ spreading throughout the world. Um, so then we come forward. The candle gets placed in its spot, wherever we're going to be. And then the priest sings the exalted, which is a uh, hymn. Not a hymn. It is a song uh, that is written, and it's about salvation and about that candle. Uh, so it's good to pay attention to it. You know, pay attention to the words. Uh, if you don't know what it's all about, like look it up ahead of time. Uh, it's really kind of it's really kind of beautiful. Also, a little weird. Um, you talk about mother bees a few times, um, but nevertheless. Uh, so after the exalted, then we begin the liturgy of the word which takes a long time. So there's seven readings from the Old Testament, one reading from the New Testament, and a gospel. 
right? So seven readings from the Old Testament. You're, you're getting basically all of the major events of salvation history. All the major events of salvation history. So they'll all be read. Then the choir or somebody will sing a psalm after each one of them, a responsorial. Uh, then there's a prayer after each one of them. And then we continue through. And the readings are beautiful. It's just like you just kind of let them soak in. They're all readings you've heard before, right? But then you hear them all in order. They just have this power. Uh, so we're, we're going through salvation history. It's like, it's like our Lord is reminding us that the people in the Bible, like the people of God, like that, that's our story. That's not like, that's not the story of some other group of people that we never knew. Like that's our story. That's your story. And so we're hearing our story told again. And then we get to um, uh, the end of the seventh reading, and the Gloria will be sung, right? So the glory to God in the highest. And we'll sing that. And the last time we sang it was at Holy Thursday. And Holy Thursday, we ring the bells during the Gloria. And then on Holy Saturday, we also will ring the bells during the Gloria. And now the Gloria is sung, all the lights come on, um, and... Uh, we hear the epistle. That's from the New Testament, right? So the whole idea being that uh, once Christ has come into the world, we have the New Testament, um, that the light is fully in the world. And you have to imagine, like, when the Triduum was, was first imagined, there wasn't electric lights, right? So uh, in old churches, what would have been happening during the Gloria is people would have been going through the church, lighting all the candles in the church, right? So, I mean, I will tell you this, like St. Peter's, for instance, um, one of the most incredible things ever in the history of the world is to see St. Peter's Basilica the way that it was supposed to be seen, by candlelight, right? And the only time you see it is at the Easter Vigil. Um, but it's incredible if you look at it in the candles um, instead of with all the electric lights, which is still nice too, but um, the candlelight is just gorgeous. And it fills the whole basilica. You would think it wouldn't, but it does. It fills the whole basilica. It's incredible. Um, so the uh, the Lights come on, and we have the reading from the uh, New Testament. And then, uh, finally, we have our first A word since Lent began, um, and uh, then the gospel. So that's the, uh, that's the liturgy of the word. It's this beautiful thing all the way through salvation history, and the proclamation of the, of the resurrection and the, and the joy that comes from that. And then we go into... Um, the sacraments. Lots of sacraments at this one. We've got uh, 22? 23? 19. They're dropping like flies. <laughs> so, that's alright. Fewer people. More, more space. It's okay. Um, so, 19 um, who are coming into the church at various kind of levels. Uh, and that is uh, a whole lot of fun stuff that happens, right? So, obviously, it's going to go in order. Baptisms will go first. Uh, and then... Receptions of those who are not Catholic into the Catholic Church, non-Catholic Christians into the Church, and then um, the confirmation of those who are are Catholic but never finished uh, that initiation and received confirmation. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens with all that. I mean, with the baptisms, um, we start off with the profession of faith with the baptized, or they make their profession of faith, and then there's a litany of saints, it's beautiful, um, and then of course the baptisms. Uh, and that whole period of, is just is really, really beautiful and it's very happy. You're looking at all these people um, receiving the grace that God had intended for them uh, from the moment of creation. 
Uh, it's a beautiful thing. And then after that, um, we move into uh, the Liturgy of the Eucharist. And at the end of the vigil, um, there's a few other things that happen, beautiful things. But uh, at the end of the vigil, um, uh, then there's the, the final blessing and the liturgy of the triduum, right? The passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ comes to a close. So the most important mass of the entire year is the Easter vigil. So if you can make it through it, if you can come and you can make it, like that's the one to come to. And it does tend to be the case that Holy Thursday is the busiest. And then Good Friday, because there's a lot of things going on Good Friday, people spread out. So it doesn't tend to be as busy. And the vigil usually, I mean, even a couple years ago, because you kind of come in at a procession, everybody lines. It's amazing. The entire place is filled from the front. And uh, (laughs) uh, the vigil a couple years ago, there were a couple of those chairs in the back that were empty. So um, I think people people start dropping out uh, along the way. Um, the music is going to be spectacular, too. I heard them. I was telling uh, somebody today. I don't remember who I was talking to. Oh, Kyle. <laughs> um, I was telling them that I was sitting in the uh, confessional last night for the evening confessions. And they're out here practicing. And they were doing, like, the miserere. And I'm like, oh, that's really good. And then they started the curia that I love so much, the Misa Pape Marcelli. And, like, this is person that's confessing. If it was you when that started, I really apologize. Like, I got choked up. And I'm telling myself, you got to listen to the confession. you got to listen to the confession. Maybe this person is going to say something important, right? So don't worry. I focused in. I might have missed a couple things, but it's okay. Um, and, uh, no, it was really, really beautiful. Um, and then Easter Sunday, it's funny because then you, if, you, if you grew up and you like went to Easter Sunday Mass, Easter Sunday Mass is kind of a letdown after all of it, you know? Um, um, you've done so much during the vigil and during the triduum. Easter Sunday is just, it's a normal Mass. Nothing special happens in Easter Sunday Mass, except that, you know, of course the readings are about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but there's no, there's no, I mean, you have the option to do the renewal of baptismal promises which we do not do. Uh, we do it at the Easter Vigil. If you want to do that, come to the Vigil. Um, but you have the option to do that, but that's it. Um, and so it's good, it's beautiful, but I think the church set it up that way because they know most priests are ready to die of exhaustion um, after uh, the Vigil. And then you've got to rouse some strength and get up uh, to go and celebrate Easter Sunday Masses. Um, but it's all a very... Uh, it's just an incredible experience. And again, we're tracing Christ's life through the whole thing, right? So the resurrection, the moment that we, um, we would say that we're celebrating the moment of the resurrection is during the Gloria, right? When the Gloria comes and the lights come on and all that, that's, that's when we're celebrating the moment of Christ's resurrection. Um, and then all the fruits that come from that, right? The sacraments um, and the fact that we can profess our faith, the new... Uh, New Christians can be created. Um, and this creation that happens in their soul at baptism, it's incredible. So that's a lot of stuff. Anybody have any questions? TJ, Lord, help us. Oh, Thomas. <laughs> Wait, you think that's going to be better? Thomas. So we, Jesus died on Friday. And he was there, we said, like, three days, right? Yep, so that was the first day. 
So then, what's the second day, Thomas? What's the second day? Saturday. Saturday. What's the third day? Sunday. Sunday. There you go. Rose on the third day. Yeah. Uh, so, in the uh, like instructions for Holy Thursday, it te- it tells the priest what to preach about. Yeah. Are there any other occasions where it tells the priest what to preach about? Um. I think it might say something about Holy Saturday. Um, I think it might say something about that. Uh, and then um, in ritual masses, not nothing in the main missal, but in ritual masses. I mean, in ritual masses, like if you look at the Roman pontifical, the thing that the bishop uses, there's actually a homily in there. He doesn't even have to write one if he doesn't want to. It's actually right there. He could. It's actually. It's a good homily too. You know, he could actually just read it. Um, but yeah, no, no. The, there's certain things like you, you should instruct them about this and this and this and this. Same thing if like it's like a, a, a mass with a baptism. There's instructions. You should cover this and this and this. Yeah. But in, just for a normal mass in the in the big middle, it maybe Holy Thursday, maybe Holy Saturday. Maybe it says something Good Friday too. I don't know. But just that period of time, I think. Yeah. Um, and on Good on Good Friday, it lists. Uh, during the veneration of the cross, um, the reproaches. Yeah. What are those? Like, are those ancient or new? Or like, are no, they they're pretty darn ancient. Yeah. So there's a lot of music that's prescribed for Holy, for Good Friday. Uh, stuff that you're supposed to sing. You have some options, of course, because you can't do everything. Um, but uh, yeah, the reproaches are really old, um, and it's it's it is a. Um, it's basically, if you were to read through the reproaches, it's basically, it sounds like Jesus complaining. I mean, it's like, well, I did this for you, and I did this for you, and I did this for you. And was this not enough? This wasn't enough? And then I gave you this, and that wasn't enough. And then I gave you this, and I gave you this, and I gave you this. And then I gave my life. Right? I mean, that's kind of the, the reproaches. Um, the reproaches are very difficult to sing. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard a single parish choir do them. Uh, we're not doing them either. Um, are we Are we doing their approaches? We're not doing them. <laughs> My last question is about genuflecting to the cross on Good Friday. On Good Friday, you genuflect to the cross, right? There's no, Jesus is not in the building. Um, but yeah, on Good Friday, we genuflect to the cross. It's the only day of the year. It's the only day of the year that you would. So like right now, when you leave today, you don't genuflect Jesus is not in the tabernacle. Um, normally you would know that because I'd have the door open. I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, uh, you just bow to the altar. Um, but on Good Friday, we genuflect to the cross. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Fine. <laughs> Jesus Christ died for you on Good Friday. You're telling me you can't genuflect to a cross? <laughs> and I guess it's like to a non-Catholic observer, it would be, I guess everything we do is I mean, there's a lot of weird things we do. That does not strike me as one of the more weird things. Besides, the, here's the thing. Like the, triduum, the triduum is not one of those things that's made for non-Catholics. I mean, it's made for certain non-Catholics, right? People are coming into the church. But, I mean, it is, this is like the high, holy liturgy of the church. It's not like Mass 101, definitely not.
Although I know I have a number of people who their first experience with, uh, with mass uh, was during the Triduum and who became Catholic. I mean, so it, I mean, it's definitely powerful. Does the, does the cross change like There are other people. <laughs> That's okay. What? Does the genuflecting thing apply like outside the church too? Like if I no, no, just during the liturgy. I mean, you can genuflect anything that you want to anytime. You want to. <laughs> but during the liturgy, during the liturgy, genuflection of the cross in the church during the liturgy. Yeah, John. What does the Eastern Church do on Holy Saturday? You would have to ask an Eastern priest. It's it's very extensive. I mean, it's very extensive. Um, and there are some awesome homilies uh, written on the, the descent of Christ into hell. Um, if you send me an email, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it to you. Yeah? Why does the church do Easter vigil to bring in people? From the standpoint of how uh, days were considered back in the olden days, for the, from the Jewish calendar, once the sun goes down, it's the new day. Right? So that's why we have to wait for the sun to go down. Um, for the Easter Vigil, because that that is Easter Sunday. Right. I mean, but like, why not Christmas? Why not have all the sacraments be given to people on Christmas? She's asking why we. Oh, oh, why why do it on Easter itself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's Jesus Christ. His His resurrection is what makes the sacraments possible. So maybe that just always seemed like the most fitting period of time. Plus. Um, the celebration of Christmas, especially at the beginning, the celebration of Christmas was not a big deal at the be- in the early, early church. It was actually kind of split up. There was this little battle over which feast was the most important. There's all this kind of stuff. Even in the Eastern church, still Christmas Day is not a huge deal for them. Um, Epiphany is the, is the huge feast for them. Um, but Christmas grew in importance pretty quickly, but like in the early, early church. Um, remember, the great miracle of our salvation is the resurrection of Christ. Right, him being born into the world um, is a miracle, no question. But that didn't save us. Right, what saves us is his resurrection. So, in terms of <clears throat> church history, yeah, when did like did the sacraments come at different times? Was it like now we have baptism, and then like five years from now we're like, oh, now we need confirmation? So Jesus Christ gave all the sacraments during his life, right? But how the church understood the sacraments. Um, to where we get to where we are now, yeah. that is something that, that has developed over time. But part of it is, it's just like imagine the, the, the disciples, right? So Jesus Christ raised from the dead, and he hangs out with them for 50 days. And then he goes up to heaven again, and then he's done. And the disciples, even after that, still have no 40 days, excuse me. Uh, and then after that, 10 more days, they still have no idea what's going on. At Pentecost, now the Holy Spirit comes, and finally they begin to understand things. And then there's this kind of unfolding. Right, So as they begin to understand more and more and more, they realize that, well, this is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to do. Right, So there was a development, certainly in the early church. But by the time you get even to the, definitely the third century, maybe even the second century, things are pretty well set. Yes? So you're talking about Christ descending into hell. Uh, so can you explain that, like, before... So the only thing the church has ever said dogmatically about Christ's descent into hell is that Christ descended into hell. 
<laughs> That's it. That's all they've ever said, right? The rest of it is theological opinion. Okay. Um, so the idea was, so baptism is necessary for salvation. That's clear. That has been dogmatically defined by the church. Right? Baptism is necessary for salvation. However, it can be baptism of desire, baptism of blood, or baptism of water. Um, and so the idea being that there was a desire, right, a desire for God in those who died prior to the Christian dispensation, right? So somebody like Moses, right? Moses clearly desired to serve God. So the idea of the descent is that Jesus goes down and in some way preaches the gospel or presents the gospel. I mean, the Easterns are like, he goes down and he preaches sermons in Hades, right? I mean, it's amazing. They have, they have some of them, you know, someone like the Ethiopian churches, they have the sermons. Um, and uh, he goes down and he preaches to the souls in hell. And then those who were disposed, who would have been, who would have accepted him had they been given the opportunity. Um, it was just an accident of time, right? Um, so the righteous uh, who uh, were in, in Hades or hell or whatever you want to call it, um, then would have been brought by Christ uh, into paradise. It's a purgatory didn't, did, well, yeah, purgatory, purgatory is an interesting problem. The idea of purgatory and its, its full development didn't really happen until second century. I mean, it's there, right? But no, we would not call, we would not have called it purgatory. That was hell. Purgatory now begins to be a place that's not hell proper, um, but a place for those unpurified souls. But these are souls who have accepted Christ, right? They've been baptized. They have this acceptance of Christ. But they, um, they need purification. These other souls had not been baptized, right? They had not received the Holy Spirit into their heart, all that other kind of stuff. So Christ gives them that opportunity. And then at his resurrection, when he's resurrected out from hell into um, uh, the, the tomb, those souls follow him. Um, there's beautiful, like, I mean, I've got this book uh, uh, written by uh, St. Simeon the New. But there's also St. Gregory of Narak, the newest doctor of the church, right? Um, had these beautiful hymns of Jesus uh, breaking the gates of hell and how Satan lamented the whole thing. And he was upset because his beautiful gates were destroyed and thrown open. Um, incredible stuff. And he's taking the souls out. Well, uh, I don't know. Ideally, right, ideally, um, you would be meditating on the gift that Christ gave to the souls in hell, right? But here's the thing. It's like Holy Saturday, at least practically, practically Holy Saturday happens. We wake up, come downstairs, and start decorating the church. It's, it's pretty hard to be somber, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's actually very exciting. By the time you get to the vigil, like, I'm so darn excited. I'm like, can you just... You know, um, I, uh, I mean, I love it, um, but I guess, yeah, in theory, in theory, that would be the case. I just never seen it done in practice.
Pentecost and the Ascension are different things. So, so after Jesus Christ is resurrected, right, he stays on earth. Jesus Christ is on earth for 40 days, right? So he's in the same state that Jesus Christ was during his earthly life. The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is always in heaven, dwelling in, in eternal Godhead. But that Son, the Son, is united with flesh. Right? And the Son of God, united with flesh, is Jesus Christ. Right? So he's always kind of like his divine nature is in heaven. His human nature is on earth, but it's still one, uh, one person. Right? That, uh, you're going to have to just ponder that one. Nobody's ever been able to explain it. <laughs> you have to, I said you have to ponder that one. No one's ever been able to explain it. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, then at the ascension, now Jesus is in heaven, and somehow, somewhere in heaven with God, there is the body of Jesus Christ. Somehow, we don't know how that works. That has not been revealed to us. space and time. And so he could take the merits of the passion that would happen historically and apply them to someone else. He did that one time to Mary. Right? He applied the merits of the passion to Mary prior to Mary even being born. Right? Um, So before his passion even happened. Right? However, um, that's not what he did with the souls in hell. Right? And God's outside of time. But like the idea that the souls don't don't experience time, they're still in time. God's outside of time, but everything else is in time. I mean, but like, wait. So when a soul passes from this earth, doesn't it leave the balance of time? In a certain sense, sure. Right? The body, which acts in time, listen, all rational creatures, your rational soul, um, this is not a discussion for this right here, but like <laughs> we think, we act and think in a way that requires time. Because we think from one thought to the next to the next. If there's a sequence in our thoughts, God does not think that way. Right? There's no like rational sequence in his thought. His, his, his thought just is. Right? Angels have a similarity to that. Although they have, it's not quite the same. Um, but even human beings, when the whole world is done, when time on earth passes away, there will still be a kind of time because our rational activity has a logical order to it. Like we move from, from, from first principles to second principles to conclusions, right? Like that's how we operate. So there's a, a kind of time to that that's required. Period. Right? We're not going to ch- our our rational nature is not going to change in heaven. Like we don't become angels. Angels don't go through that rational process. It all just kind of happens. 
God, that doesn't even explain what God does, right? God's knowledge is him. So, discussion for another time. Yes? So, on Good Friday, is it prescribed in the missile that the crucifix or veneration should have a corpus on it or not? Because I've seen both. I believe I would have to look at it now. In the old, uh, before the translation, there was the belief that the cross was not supposed to have a corpus. There has been corrections that have been issued about that, that the cross should have a corpus on it. But then plenty of places, you know, bought a very nice cross a long time ago that doesn't have a corpus. And like St. Bridget, for instance, they have a beautiful, beautiful, awesome, amazing cross that they use on Good Friday, but it doesn't have a corpus on it. But they had it before the, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? Yes. So those souls that were in hell before Jesus went, um, were they suffering like with the devil when they were down there? The only thing the church has ever said <laughs> about Jesus Christ descending into hell is that he descended into hell, right? So the rest of it is the opinion, okay? Um, the opinion of some of the best doctors of the church was that, no, they were in, um, uh, like, the hell of the righteous. So they're living in a state of uh, happiness uh, according to what's possible for them, right? But we call it hell because... The, the lowest soul in heaven compared to the highest soul just operating on how, who we can be as human beings, like Socrates. Let's say, I mean, he probably wasn't a saint, but let's say Socrates, right? Smart, great guy. Maybe he, who not, maybe not, but um, the lowest soul in hell, or the lowest soul in heaven, when he looks down at this guy, like this guy is going to look like he's in the depths of hell, right? Um, the difference is so Yes? I've also uh, heard that the word hell is interpreted as like the land of the dead. Yeah. Like a deadness. Um, this helps for that discussion. For the hell is weird thinking on that. Yeah, he descended to the dead. I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it is or it's not helpful. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's been written about this. But yeah, I mean, that's that's where the idea of there being different types of hell is. It is 7.36. I said 7.30, so if you got to go, go right ahead. I'll keep answering questions. Anything else? Well then. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you.